Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to look in Psalm 119. Tonight in our new series, The Golden Alphabet, we're looking at the first eight verses of this long psalm. This is the first of 22 stanzas in the alphabetical acrostic arrangement of the psalm. Uh, just to remind you, the psalm is uh, penned with great intentionality. Uh, it is an alphabetic acrostic, meaning that uh, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are used to give shape to the arrangement of the psalm uh, in sections of eight verses. Uh, so 22 times 8 gets us to the 176, the total number of verses in the psalm. Uh, so in eight verse sections, each uh, stanza, two stanzas per verse, each stanza begins uh, with a corresponding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And tonight we start, of course, at the beginning. It's always a good place to start. And so we begin uh, with A, but not the English A, but the Hebrew A, uh, the letter um, Aleph. Aleph. And tonight, uh, we're going to think along these lines, blessed by the book, blessed by the book. I want to read these eight verses and then share just a few uh, kind of structural observations about the psalm and then a few more particular thoughts regarding its message for us tonight. So hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 119, letter Aleph in the golden alphabet. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then... I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. May the Lord bless tonight the reading and the teaching of his word. Uh, Before we kind of get into the details of this opening uh, stanza, this opening verse of Psalm 119, just a, a few observations about uh, the arrangement here in this section. Uh, first of all, let's look at it grammatically for a moment. Um, when we study Psalm 119, we're, we're studying Hebrew poetry, and Hebrew poetry is distinctly different than English poetry uh, that we're many times more familiar with. Hebrew poetry doesn't work so much off of of rhyme, like we're more accustomed to poetry doing, uh, but it operates in parallelism, uh, corresponding lines of thought. 
And that's the reason in the arrangement of Psalm 119 and many parts of the Psalter and even in Proverbs and in other sections of uh, the Old Testament and New Testament as well, um, we find one line given and then a reiteration of that thought in the following line, but in a, a little bit of a different way. So it's two lines that state or stress the same idea, but from a, a slightly different perspective. Uh, we see that here in uh, Psalm 119. Look in, in verse 2, for, it, for example. The psalmist writes, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole hearts. So under the umbrella of a benediction, the, the pronouncement of blessing, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment, uh, we had this idea of keeping uh, his testimonies. But what does it mean to keep? Well, the second line in that verse kind of sheds more light on that. That's the parallel thought to the first line. Keeping his testimonies corresponds to those who seek him with their whole heart. So there's a correlation between keeping and seeking. Uh, we, we see it uh, in other places in Psalm 119, other places uh, here in this opening section as well. But, but always keep in mind, in, in Hebrew poetry, it, it falls upon lines of parallelism. Uh, one line, second line, kind of giving the same thought, but coming at it from a different perspective. But the other thing that I want you to think grammatically with me about for a moment in Psalm 119 are the pronouns. The pronouns. Now, I know pronouns aren't perhaps the most exciting part of the language, uh, but, but they are important here in Psalm 119 because they kind of direct uh, the words of the psalmist. You'll notice he begins the psalm writing in the third person. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. So there's this kind of a, a broader audience in mind here. But when we come to verse 5, there's a shift in the number of pronoun that is employed. It's no longer third person, but it's now what? First person. So he kind of goes from a, a broad idea to a very personal application. And I think it's an important reminder for us tonight that as we think about God's word in the study of the golden alphabet of Psalm 119, we're, we're going to speak in some broad generalities about the word of God. So, some truths that it contains, some, uh, some characteristics of it. And all of those things are right and all of those things should be shared and should be spoken of. But those things must also be applied God's word is given, given to us not simply just to, to form doctrinal convictions, as important as doctrine is, and as right as doctrine is, but God's word is given to us as well in order that it may be borne out practically in our lives, that it is applied, that it's not merely for instruction, but to bring about transformation. And so, what you have here is the psalmist uh, modeling this for us. Here's some truth about the Word of God. And now I long to see this applied to my life. That's where he goes here at the opening of the psalm. Broad truth, broad generalities, and then specific application. 
And what's interesting in how he brings this about is not only through his use of pronouns, but kind of in separating the psalm in two parts, we notice the the first four verses really are a proclamation of blessing. They are the, the issuance of a benediction. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Again, we mentioned this last Wednesday night as we kind of did a a brief introduction into the psalm. Uh, There's a a connection and a correlation here to Psalm 1, the, the beginning of the Psalter. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law he meditates day and night. So there's a connection here with where we find blessing and how blessing is obtained. So he's pronouncing this, this benediction upon those who will give attention to the word of God. It's also interesting to me as well that that as Jesus called his disciples to himself in in the Gospels, uh, in what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, how did he begin his sermon? Blessed. Blessed. And so what we're, what we're seeing here in this pronouncement of blessing, this opening benediction, as we think about even what Jesus taught his disciples as well, is that the blessings that Jesus gave there in the Beatitudes, we find them and discover them as we give attention and application to the word of God in our life. The Bible is the gateway to enjoying the blessings of God. And so he pronounces this benediction, a proclamation, a blessing here in these first four verses of the psalm. But then there's a transition out of that, kind of following the the progression of the pronouns. When we come to verse 5 through verse 8, there's the second half of this opening stanza. And he shifts from a voice of proclamation to a voice of prayer. The last part of this opening verse in Psalm 119 is a prayer. Verse 5, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. This is the longing of his heart. This is his cry to God. Let me be steadfast in keeping your ways, Lord. And in that prayer, there's somewhat of an acknowledgement that is made. He prays for the Lord to help him to be steadfast in walking according to the, the, Lord, uh, the law of the Lord, the word of God, because he knows that there are places that he doesn't walk according to it. He knows that there are times that he is out of that way. So he is, he is pleading for divine intervention. It's his prayer. And so as we study Psalm 119 beginning tonight and In the coming weeks as well, I hope that it will not only teach us much about the Word of God, but that it will teach us to pray the Word as well. It's what the psalmist is modeling for us. He has recounted the blessings of keeping the Word of God. He has told us in the first four verses much already about the law of the Lord. And then he begins to pray that back to God. So may we understand the blessing of the book, and may we pray that we would follow its ways diligently and steadfastly. So tonight as we think about these 
first eight verses, this opening stanza, as we think about being blessed by the book, let me just share with you four thoughts from these eight verses about what we can receive from the Word of God. First of all, I want you to see in the first two verses that there is delight to be found in God's Word. There is delight to be found in God's Word. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Again, in Hebrew parallelism, what is the blameless way? Well, the second line of verse 1 tells us, those who walk in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is a reference to the Torah, uh, the Word of God, the law of God. And those who walk in that law, their way is right, their way is blameless, and in that way there is blessedness. There is happiness, there is contentment, there is right living to be found. There's delight found in God's word. He comes back to this same idea in verse 2. He says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Many people today in our world and even within the church are trying to figure out what they've got to do to have a blessed life. Where can they find God's blessings? Where can they find contentment? Where can they find happiness? Where can they find peace? Where can they have their longings satisfied? Where can they find fulfillment? And the psalmist tells us right here at the beginning of this monumental psalm that it begins and is found in the Word of God. How encouraging it is to know that that blessings can be found, that blessedness uh, can be obtained when we give attention to what God has said in His Word. Spurgeon, in writing about this opening benediction, this proclamation of blessing, this blessedness that is found in the book, says, we have in this psalm blessed people who enjoy five blessed things. He says we find a blessed way, a blessed purity, a blessed law given by a blessed Lord, and a blessed walk in them. I think he's absolutely right. When we commit ourselves to walk in the way of the Lord, we know that that way is perfect. We know that that way is right in the eyes of the Lord, and therefore blessings accompanying it. But to be in this blessed way, Psalm 119 verse 2 gives us an indication of of how we're to, to walk in that way, of how we discover that way as we look into the book. He says, we must seek him with their whole heart. We must seek him with their whole heart. There's no division in the one who is going to give attention to the word of God. As I hear the psalmist write this, my mind goes to what James tells us in James 1, to the one who is seeking wisdom in the midst of a trial. If anyone of you lacks wisdom, what do we do? We ask of God, who gives liberally. He doesn't hold back. He says, but let the double-minded man, he says, don't let him think that he'll receive anything of God. He'll be instead like a ship tossed about on the, the waves of the sea. What he means by that 
is when we seek God's wisdom, when we seek to walk in the law of the Lord, when we seek the way that is blameless, when we seek to keep his testimonies, all that we are must be set upon that. We must be given over completely and entirely to what God's word tells us and teaches us to the way that it shows us. There can't be division. It can't be, well, I'll see what God has to say about it, and then I'll hear what the world has to say about it, and whichever one I feel like, you know, I want to go with, that's the one I'll decide upon. The Lord says, don't think that that man's going to receive anything of God. Don't think that there'll be blessings for that man. Don't think that the way for that man will, uh, will be lit. Don't think that that way uh, will lead to blessing. The Lord says, no, he's closed off because he's not seeking him with their whole heart. It's a complete sellout here as we delight in God's word. So he writes about the delight that's found in God's word. Then in verse 3, the psalmist tells us about the direction that we get from God's word. The direction we get from God's word. So the blessed ones are those whose way is blameless because they commit wholeheartedly to keeping the law of God, to following his testimonies. And they also do no wrong, but they walk in his ways. Again, the reiteration here. We've seen this idea of walking in ways already in the psalm. But here, it kind of carries the idea of being morally right. And I think it's an important reminder for us today, especially in our culture, that morality is not determined by the world, but by God. God's holiness is the standard, not the world's subjectivism. And the psalmist here tells us the one who is blessed, who does no wrong, walks in God's ways. He knows what is right in the eyes of the Lord, and he seeks to do that. He receives his direction from God. I think we've got to ask ourselves the question as we think about the study of God's word in this psalm. Will it be our compass? Will it be our guide? Will it be our GPS? Whatever illustration or analogy you, you, you want to use, will you let God's word direct your life? Because it's the only way that we'll find direction to do no wrong. In the period of the judges in the Old Testament, In that culture, in that time, the environment was every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And it's amazing to me that when we give ourselves that liberty, that nothing is wrong. Everything is right. But here the psalmist reminds us there is wrong, there is right, and if we would seek to do right, it's not our right that must be done, but it's God's right that must be done. And, and we can do no wrong, we can only do right when we walk in his way. So we must receive our direction for, for life, for living, from God's word. 
It must be our spiritual compass. It must be our eternal GPS, if you will. We're blessed by the book because it directs our steps. So we see the delight that we're to have in God's word uh, that comes from God's word, the direction we receive from God's word. And then third, I want you to notice in verses four and five, the demand of God's word. The demand of God's word. The psalmist doesn't pull any punches. Again, he's told us that we must be all in with the word. All of our heart must seek it. All of our ways must be given over to it. And here he says the reason for that is because you, speaking of the Lord, has commanded that your precepts to be kept diligently. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Make no mistake, the commands of God are the demands of God. The commands of God are the demands of God. Uh, Commands nor demands are optional with the Lord. What God has said, he means. And here in verse 4 specifically, the psalmist uses the word precepts. Uh, He's speaking of specific and detailed instructions And he says, we need to give great attention to the commands of God so that we can keep them diligently and carefully. He's reminding us that obedience is crucial when we come to the Word of God. That we place ourselves under its divine authority. That we seek not to conform it to our ways, but rather our ways are conformed to its words. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, carefully, specifically. And then having expressed this and understanding this about the word of God and the demand that it it exudes, he cries out in verse 5 with his prayer, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. What a wonderful prayer. What a prayer to lift up to the Lord every day. God, help us to keep your word today. Help us to keep your word that we may be blessed. Help us to keep your word that we may know your direction. Help us to keep your word because of the holy demand that you have placed within it. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Again, there's an acknowledgement there in that prayer that the psalmist realizes his his inability, his sinfulness, that, that he knows in his own self that he struggles in this way. So he asks for divine help. He asks for, for aid. Lord, let me be steadfast to walk by your word. The psalmist was giving careful attention to all that God's word said. We've got to do the same. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He says, God's precepts require careful attention because there is no keeping them by accident. God's precepts, God's laws, God's commands, which are demands, 
require careful attention because there is no keeping them by accident. That's good. That's right. And so we pray with the psalmist in verse 5, Oh, let my ways be steadfast that I can keep your statutes. The demand of God's word. And then finally tonight, we notice in the last three verses of the psalm, the, the, the development that comes by God's word. The development that comes by God's word. So the psalmist has cried out in prayer in verse 5, and here's his reasoning. Lord, if I can walk in your ways, if I can keep your statutes, here's the result. Here's what comes out of it. Four things. Verse 6, he says, Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. He says there's confidence. When we keep God's word, when we devote our ways to the word of God, when we give careful attention to the commands of God, when it's our prayer, God, let us walk in your ways. There's confidence in our lives spiritually. We know that we will not be put to shame. Not just shame in the eyes of the world, but we won't be put to shame before the Lord when we stand before him in judgment. The word of God is the bar of God. By his word, we will be judged. By his word, examination will come. And so the psalmist is saying, I won't be put to shame before you if I keep your word faithfully. There's a confidence that is there. Because we're walking according to the revelation that God has given. He says, I won't be put to shame because my eyes are fixed on all your commandments. Then in verse 7, he says, the word of God will lead to reverence. Not just confidence, but reverence. He says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. A lot of people sometimes want to say, you know, it's not about rules, it's about relationship. Uh, it's about rules too. Because that relationship is established on a set of rules that God gave. And the psalmist here said, when I learn your righteous rules, again, it's another synonym that he is using for the law of God, the testimonies of God, the precepts, the statutes, the commandments. He says, when I learn your righteous rules, and these are why those rules are in the Bible and why they're so important, not merely to direct our life, although they certainly do that, but he says, when I learn your righteous rules, I will what? Praise you. Because those rules that are given are a revelation of the character of the God who has given them. And so as we learn God's word and the commands that it holds forth to us, it leads to a greater understanding of who God is. And as we understand God more, we'll praise him more. So God's word and our looking into it, our fixation upon it, our commitment to it, leads to us reverencing him. God's word is a revelation, is the revelation of God. This is God speaking to us. And so as we hear his word, as we learn his word, we're hearing and learning of him. And so we praise him out of that. 
So the development that comes from God's word is a confidence in our life, a reverence in our life, an endurance in our lives. The beginning of verse 8, I will keep your statutes. I will keep your statutes. There's a determination that is setting in here with the psalmist that this is the way I want to walk in. How do you keep the fire burning? You throw more wood on it. How do we keep our heart for the word growing and burning? Put more word on it. Get in the word more. Stay in the word more. Keep the word more. As we do so, we're building our confidence. As we do so, we're, we're, we're increasing our reverence. And so it leads to an endurance in our spiritual life. The word of God is the spiritual food that sustains us and, and, and fosters our faith. I will keep your statutes. And then he ends in this last line of the opening verse. Do not utterly forsake me. As we give our lives over to walking in the word, what we learn is a dependence upon the God of the word. Do not utterly forsake me. It's the cry of the psalmist that that is professing and confessing, I want to keep your word, but I can't keep your word unless you are with me. This is the way that I want to go because this is the way that is blessed. This is the direction that you've given. This is the demand that you call for, but I can't do it. I need you. As we couple our lives to the Word of God, we're reminded over and over and over and over again of our inability, of our shortcomings, of our own sinfulness. And the cry of the psalmist here at the end of verse 8 is our cry. God, I need you. I can't do this. And many times, I think when we get there, we, we, we perhaps feel like we've failed or we've messed up or we've missed something along the way. I don't know that the psalmist missed anything in the first seven and a half verses of Psalm 119. I think he understood all that the Word of God is. I think he understood the operation of the Word in the life of the one who wanted to follow the ways of God. I think he had a heart that was set on and desiring to to walk in that way. He wanted to worship the God of the word. He he had everything right, but here at the end, he, he says, I still need you because I can't do it. I'm not sure who wrote it, but the words describe the cry of the psalmist here at the end of this opening stanza. His law is holy and good and righteous. It is pure, but we can't keep it. Even when we make resolutions, we can't keep it. We don't keep it. We can't. We're not able to serve the Lord. We are failures. And that comes out clearly in Psalm 119. 
But in that, we discover and we learn the most important lesson from the Word. That we need the divine enabling and power of Jesus. We need Him and His gospel. We need not a righteousness of our own, but His own righteousness. He is our righteousness. We need Him. He is the only one who has fulfilled God's law. So we need him. The one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The psalmist cries out, do not utterly forsake me. The word of God reminds us that we need the living word. We need Jesus. And that's the greatest blessing of the book. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And Lord, I pray tonight that as we study your word, that we would be blessed, that our way would be blameless, that we would diligently keep your commands. Father, I pray tonight that you would help us to walk in your ways. Lord, we confess our failures and our shortcomings that God, even when our hearts are set on wanting to follow your directions, Lord, we fail. Lord, we come up short. Lord, we go astray. Father, we fail to seek you with our whole heart. We fail to keep your word. But Lord, we're thankful for the one who did not fail. We're thankful tonight for a Savior who fulfilled every command, who did not fail. And Father, we're thankful that he does not forsake us. Father, let us grow in him. Let us love him. Let us love your word. And may our worship of you Lord, be found pleasing in your sight. Father, I pray for these before me tonight. God, that you would bless them and keep them. Bless them by your book. Keep them in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.